We're driving in Elkhorn Slough National Research Reserve located near Monterey Bay in California with the hopes of getting a glimpse and maybe some photographs of the California sea otters. Let's go check it out. Wow, there's a whole raft of them just floating out there, getting some sun. It's no wonder a group of sea otters is called a raft of sea otters. They kind of look like a floating blanket of fur, bumping into one another as they drift around. The individuals kind of do a little spin move where they roll over a few times and then they end up right where they started, floating on their back. Hi, I'm Terry Vanderheiden. Thanks for joining me on the Nature Photography Podcast. This episode is all about the California sea otter. Let's find out more about the California sea otter so we can take better photographs of them. If you didn't know, the California sea otter is considered a keystone species and that it's still on the endangered species list. One interpretation of a keystone species means, for instance, the health of the sea otter is a good indication of the health of the other species in the nearby ecosystem. Here, the sea otter eats sea urchins and other small crabs and snails that feed on the giant kelp. If the sea urchins, for example, go unchecked, so much of the kelp forest can be consumed that nothing else can live there. So by the actions of the sea otter, it stabilizes the kelp forest to help them thrive and give a much needed home to many other organisms. In estuaries, the otters keep the eelgrass healthy by consuming crabs. Now this is a little convoluted, but stay with me on this. The otters eat the crabs, which then allow the crabs main diet, the sea slug to thrive. The sea slugs, are good for the eelgrass because the slugs eat the algae that builds up and coats the eelgrass. And if the algae were to go unchecked, the eelgrass would smother from being too covered with algae. Finally, the eelgrass is needed by many, many other fish for hunting, for their food, and for the shelter. This keeps the estuary alive, and it all starts with the sea otter. California sea otter numbers around 3,000, and they're found mostly in the central coast of California. They are having a hard time expanding their numbers in this limited area. There's just so much food that can support families of otters. One of the problems is that when the sea otters try to make their way north to expand their populations, they fall victim to white shark attacks along the coast of Northern California. This sounds creepy, and you can't help but think of the Jaws movie when the sharks are thrashing around consuming all the sea otters trying to make their way up north. So the sea otters seldom travel far in the open ocean coastline, so they stay where they're safe, in and around the Monterey Bay. A solution is possibly being formed to transplant some of the California sea otters to the San Francisco Bay, 
where they might be able to thrive in the relative safety of that bay. However, not everyone's happy about the proposal since the crab fishing industry is pretty important to the San Francisco Bay and the fishermen think that adding otters would take an unnecessary toll on the crab fishing. This idea of transplanting is not too far-fetched as the California sea otter once thrived in San Francisco Bay. Now, it was about 200 years ago. So we'll see if they're given that chance to make San Francisco home again. As a professional photographer, there's one tool that I use just about every day. And no, it's not my camera. It's my computer. More specifically, Adobe Lightroom. I've been using Lightroom from the very beginning since it was introduced back in 2007. I've taught many photographers how to use Lightroom in my hands-on classes, as well as through online training. I feel this program is the best available for organizing my photographs so I can find a certain image among thousands that I've shot over the years. I especially like it for processing my raw photographic files. While many of my final images get some sort of treatment in Photoshop, all of my images are processed through Adobe Lightroom. All of them. My goal is to do as much image processing as I can in Lightroom first. This makes my workflow go so much faster. One of the things that makes my workflow faster are the preset brushes. I've created several myself that are built specifically for wildlife and nature photography. These brushes are easy to load, easy to use, and make developing your images faster and more creative. For listeners of this podcast, I'm offering a special collection of nature photography Lightroom preset brushes. You can use these to improve your wildlife photography and your landscape work. When you download my Lightroom brushes, you will get exclusive access to instructional videos to learn how each and every brush works and when to use them. Find out more by visiting my website, imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. Click on the podcast page and you can order them right there. As you watch sea otters when they're feeding, they dive down to the seafloor and grab a crab or an urchin. Then they come up to the surface and use their bellies as a table to consume their meal. Many times you'll see them bring up a rock to help them crack open a crab or a clam to assist in cracking open their meal. Now the fur of the sea otter is super thick. The sea otter doesn't have a layer of blubber to keep it warm in these cold waters. It only has the fur. The sea otter's fur is considered the densest fur in the world and measured 1 million hairs per square inch. So to give you a fur comparison, the average house cat has about 600,000 hairs on its entire body. So compared to a million in a square inch. It's because of this amazing fur that the sea otter was almost hunted to extinction. From the mid 1700s, it estimated that the sea otters' numbers were around 300,000 in this area. A ban on hunting them was put in effect in 1911, and now their numbers hover around 3,000. So this substantial fur leads to a lot of grooming. When photographing them, you can almost always watch them groom themselves. The grooming helps to coat the fur with natural oils and fluff it with insulating air bubbles.
Another way the sea otter stays warm in this cold water is to constantly eat. They consume about 25% of their body weight each day. And that's really quite a lot. Let me give you an example. That's similar to a 150 pound person eating 40 pounds of food per day. This excessive eating is because of the very high metabolism they have. All this eating and metabolism keeps their body temps at about 100 degrees, thus keeping them warm. After the break, we'll talk about how to photograph the California sea otter. If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely into photography. Coincidentally, so am I. I'm Terry Vanderheiden, full-time professional photographer. Not only do I create photographs for a living, I do photography just for fun. In my spare time, I also teach photography classes and workshops. If you'd like to find out more about what I offer, check out my website at imagelight.com. That's spelled I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T.com. You can also find some videos I've created over on YouTube. Just search for Terry Vanderheiden or search for uh, how to use a monopod and you can find me that way. Feel free to email me if you have any questions on the topics I cover in this podcast or suggestions on how I can improve it. If you like this podcast, please give it a star rating and maybe even a quick review so others can find it easier. It would be great if you could share this podcast with other friends who might have an interest in photography. I'd really appreciate it. And thanks again for listening. Ideally, when photographing sea otters, get as low as you can to the water level. They're a protected animal, so you can't get too close to them. So a long lens is always going to be what you want to use. A friend of mine made me a ground pod. It's essentially a large frying pan with a short post built into it. On that post is a threaded bolt that I can attach my Wimberly gimbal head to, and then I can attach my longest lens to it. This allows me to get on the ground with my gear and look through the lens about as low as I can get. The pan shape helps me move from side to side or forward and back on something smooth like dirt or sand. The whole downside of this is I'm lying on the ground. It helps to have some pads to lie on. Now, I got some pads over at Harbor Freight for about 10 bucks, so that makes it a lot more comfortable. But no matter what the pads are, I still have to get up which I guess is the downside of getting that low, is you have to always get back up. The low angle will serve you well with a lot of wildlife photography. Getting down to the wildlife's eye level is a great way to give a more intimate view. Kind of like what kind of angle the wildlife sees every day. With sea otters, you don't have a lot of choices, since they are a protected species, so any angle should be great. If you can get them interacting with each other, that's always a plus. I like to watch just about any wildlife for a while to kind of see what they do. They're eating, grooming, sleeping, all their activities that otters do are great. Let's talk a little bit about depth of field when photographing animals like this. Since you're using a long lens, the depth of field will likely be rather shallow, meaning that if you come across a raft of sea otters floating on their backs, one may be in focus and the others front and behind 
the subject will start getting soft. Possibly even the subject's face will be in focus and his meal resting on his belly will be out of focus. So you only have a couple of options when it comes to increasing your depth of field. One is to move your aperture to a higher number. Instead of having an f2.8 or f4, try moving it to f11, 16, or even f22. Having enough light is usually your battle with this sort of move, but luckily shooting otters is a daytime activity. On an overcast day, you might have to move your ISO up just a bit, but it really shouldn't be a problem. Be aware that the trade-off with aperture and shutter speed. When you make your aperture smaller, a larger number, your shutter speed will have to be slower. Again, our subject matter, the sea otter, makes it easy on us as they are not usually moving around too rapidly. So you get away with a slower shutter speed if you need to. However, you don't want to go too low. Combined with the longer focal length lens, you can start getting blurry images if you're too slow. Remember the rule of thumb. If you're using a 300 millimeter, you should be shooting at least one 400th of a second. That's a little bit over the speed of the length of your millimeters. And that's only if you're on a sturdy tripod. I always tend to err on the side of a faster shutter speed, like one 1,000th of a second or faster. Now, if you're hand holding, then you should go even faster with your shutter speed because all that magnification will also magnify any of your camera movements. The other option you have is use a shorter lens or get farther back. So the farther away you are from your subject, you're going to be able to kind of create a little more depth of field. And then of course, in the computer, you'd have to crop and bring it up. Now that's going to possibly bring in some noise, but it is an option to getting a little more depth of field using a shorter lens or getting farther away from your subject. Any way you cut it, sea otters are a blast to photograph. They're cute, they're furry, they don't move around too much, they involve themselves with busy activities, and they interact with each other. These animals are worth planning a trip around photographing them, if you happen to know where they hang out. Monterey Bay in California is the best place to start. However, the same animal can be found on the Russian East Coast, British Columbia, Alaska, Mexico, and even Japan. With Alaska being the largest range with some 73,000 sea otters living up there. So they are out there. So go find them and have some fun photographing with them. Until next time, this is Terry Vanderheiden, your host of the Nature Photography Podcast. Thank mm -hmm. you.